Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We're a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoy this week's message by our guest speaker. Good morning. The other part of that, how this came about was, Pastor Tammy and I were working on our Africa stuff for this past trip, and she said, hey, your name came up at staff meeting, and I was like, oh crap, is that good or bad? Because in my life, sometimes you had to clarify that. And she's like, your name came up about, you know, preaching on a Sunday morning, and I was like, what? And she said, would you be interested in doing that? And I was like, yeah, no. No? There was like, nope. Didn't take me long to to inform her that was not on my bucket list. And um, of course, you know, being the great friend and pastor that she is, she's like, well, you know what? You just pray about that. And I'm like, serious. So of course, you know, I go home and it starts to stir within me and I start, you know, praying about it. And I'm thinking, okay, cool. So I texted her back a few weeks later and I said, hey, if that's the route you guys decide to take and you decide to ask me, then yes, I'll do this because I've never regretted saying yes. And ask me again about noon, we'll see if that still stands, but I've never regretted saying yes. And so she said, great. And then I didn't hear anything and I thought, great, it was just a test to see if I would say yes. So I get a text from Pastor Caleb says, hey, I have a question for you. And I'm like, shoot, you know, what's up? He's like, would you, would, would you be interested in preaching on the 27th? And I'm like, this year? Like 2022, I'm, you know? And I'm like, okay, today's my granddaughter's third birthday. Maybe we're doing something. Got a two month old grandson. I'm, I'm at Julia's house, my daughter's here. And I'm like, is the baby getting dedicated that day at your church? And she's laughing and going, what is wrong with you? You know, you're going to say yes, you know, you're going to do it. So, and I so I was like, yes, I'll do this. So this is a message that um, kind of began last March. I heard a, a bit of a take on it. And it, it began to, to, and it really spoke to me when I heard it. So as I began to read through the scriptures of this story and see the bigger picture, I thought, man, this is good. And so I'm, my goal is to do justice to it today so that, that, I, uh, that it brings understanding and it brings freedom. Um, I do want to thank uh, Pastor Caleb, Pastor Allie, Pastor Dwight, and Pastor Tammy. I don't take this lightly, being able to do this. It, it is an honor and a privilege, but... Um, I'm kind of an equipping person, and I'm really used to an an interpreter over here that, you know, I have a minute to collect my thoughts, so we're just, I I did tell Allie that, I'm like, could you just come stand next to me, so. um, I'm kind of an equipping person, I like to leave you with something to do, some tools that you can use, because our pastors aren't going to be here all the time, you know, we can't always go to someone else, and I always feel like I want to leave you with something that you can go to God with, that you can do on your own in your own walk with the Lord. So that's kind of how I gear what I do. Um, We all, and it's funny, as Pastor Dwight was closing, I'm like, gee, thanks for summarizing that, uh, my message for me. Good thing I worked on it for a couple months and he summarized it in five seconds, but that's okay. So it's like... So we all find ourselves in overwhelming circumstances and situations. We all do. You may be in one right now, but what do we do when we're overcome by fear and anxiety, depression, loneliness, and those kinds of things? 
We're going to look at an example today. Maddie, would you put that, def that definition up for me, please, dear? Overwhelm means to crush and to overpower in thought or feeling. And I want you to remember that as we go through this. It's to, be, to crush or to, be o or to overpower in thought and in feelings. So we need the tools when we find ourselves in these situations. Something may feel very, very real, but it is not necessarily true. Right. I learned this the hard way many times. Something may feel very real, but it is not necessarily truth. Wow. Good. Jesus said in John 8:32 that you will know the truth and the truth can set us free. And so my prayer today is that we're going to see some truth. Right. So let's pray, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity, God. I thank you that you are all we need, God. God, I thank you that you give us examples and tools in how to overcome the world because your word says that Jesus came to overcome the world. And God, while we live here, we have struggles, and God, you have overcome those things. God, that uh, we would see truth and people would see freedom today, God. Bless this time that we have together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Now, we're going to look at Elijah in the Old Testament. And I'm going to highlight this for you. I'm going to use a highlight reel, as I called it. I almost did it like Facebook posts, but um, I thought that would take a little too long. Most of you probably know the backstory of Elijah, but I just kind of want to give everybody a little bit of a background so everybody's on the same page for when we start. So Elijah's highlight reel, he just kind of shows up in 1 Kings 17. We don't know a lot about him. There's, his father's name is somewhere in one, you know, Leviticus, Numbers, one of those things. But he is estimated to have lived about 675 years after Moses. Based on where he was from and what we do know about him, it is safe to say that he knew the story of Moses, that he was taught that um, in his upbringing. It's also estimated that he's between 30 and 50 years old. So he's not a young kid. He's not old. He's kind of right there in, in the prime. Um, the first assignment we see is he goes to King Ahab. Now this tells me this is probably not his first rodeo when you go to the king as your first assignment. He probably has, he has built a relationship with God somewhere that we don't know about because God sends him to the king of the country. And the Bible tells us that Ahab did more evil in the sight of the Lord than any king before him. So this is what, who Elijah is sent to. So he goes to Ahab, God says, go to Ahab and tell him that it will not rain again until you say. So Elijah goes to Ahab, hey, we're going to have a drought. It's not going to rain again until I say so. So then, he t then God tells him to go run and hide after he tells him to do that. It's like, great, thanks. That's, that's helpful information, you, you know. Maybe he wouldn't have done it if he'd known he was going to have to go hide when he was done. But so he goes to this brook Cherith. The ravens, ravens feed him meat and bread every morning and meat and bread every evening. We think we invented DoorDash, but God did this. Um, the ravens literally, I'm like, cool. But yeah, shoot, I'd eat, the, you know, maybe the meat the ravens brought. Maybe not. Don't know. So, but then because they're in a drought, the brook dries up. So then God tells him to go to Zarephath that there's a widow there that would take care of him. He goes to, and he finds this widow, and he says, hey, uh, 
give me something to drink and make me a cake. And, a light, and the widow says, I am literally p- fixing my last meal for my son and I, and then we're going to die because we have no more food and water. And Elijah says, if you obey, your oil and your flour will never run out. So she goes and does this, and her oil and her flour never run out for almost, it, it's three years total, but somewhere in there. Now, I've been to the grocery store recently too, and if I could get a couple of my groceries to never run out right now, I'd be all set for this. So this is going along smoothly, but then the widow's son dies, and she blames Elijah, and I'm sure Elijah may be at this point going, I just cannot catch a break. So. But Elijah takes the the son and he lays out over him and he prays for him and this son comes back to life. So he's raising the dead. He's being uh, supplied for miraculously. Now in the third year, God sends Elijah to go back to uh, Ahab and tell him rain is coming. So as uh, things were really rough, so Ahab and his servant Obadiah, and Obadiah uh, feared the Lord, they're out searching the country for water because they're, it's, they're a third year of a drought. So Elijah runs into Obadiah and, uh, when he was on his way to see Ahab. Now, 1 Kings 18.13 says, haven't you heard, this is Obadiah speaking to Elijah, haven't you heard my Lord what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord. I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water. So here's Obadiah. The takeaway that I want you to get from this is that Obadiah tells Elijah he has hidden a hundred of the Lord's prophets and kept them safe from Jezebel killing them. So Obadiah, uh, he goes to, Ahab comes out to meet Elijah. Elijah tells Ahab, gather all of, the, all of Israel, the 400 prophets of Baal and the 450 prophets of Asherah and meet at Mount Carmel. So this is the, this is the famous uh, challenge. And I love this. So 1 Kings 18, 21 and 22, Elijah addresses the people. He goes before the people and he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now the takeaway here is Elijah has stated he's the only one left. But Obadiah just told him he hit 100. So we see an effect here. We see a a mindset starting here. Mm -hmm. We see the results of what his mind has been telling him. He's been isolated for three plus years. We see these things starting to affect him. So we have this big battle. We know the story. They each build altars, uh, make a sacrifice, and then Elijah says, you go first, and the 400 prophets of Baal call on Baal, and we know nothing happens. They cut themselves, they do all the things, and Elijah kind of taunts them, and I think that's kind of cool, but Elijah's taunting them. And then he says, it's my turn. So he builds the altar, and he builds it to the 12 stones. He knows the specifications of how an altar is to be built, because he's been taught that. So that's how we know he knows these things. He puts the wood on, he puts a sacrifice on, and then he douses it with water. Came to question where they find the water, but I didn't go there. So (laughs) he douses it with water and he prays and says, Lord, prove yourself. And the fire comes down and not only does it consume the fire or the sacrifice, it's the sacrifice, the wood, the altar and all the water just to make a point. 
God just really shows up, shows off, and shows his power. So then, he, I have no idea where I'm at. So we know that God answers. Then Elijah kills the, the 400 prophets of Baal. Then he tells Elijah, or he tells Ahab, the rain is coming. So he and his servant go up to the mountain. He bows down. He sends a servant to look, and then there's, there's, there's nothing. The seventh time, the, uh, the servant comes back and says, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand. Elijah says, we got to go because the storm is coming. Storm's coming. We got to go. And he says, Ahab, get in your chariot and go. The Bible says that um, God gives Elijah special strength to run ahead of Ahab's chariot to Jezreel. Now, it's safe to say that's 15 miles. He outran his chariot for 15 miles. That's a, and some say it's double that, but I went on the safe side. 15 miles, he, he outruns this chariot. So Ahab tells his wife Jezebel what happened, and she sends a message to Elijah. 1 Kings 19.2 says, So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Now, we're not going to get into the Jezebel spirit and all that, but let's just say this woman is evil. Is evil. Evil. So however evil Ahab was, she tops that. So then what happens? Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left a servant there. We just witnessed all of these things in the previous three years. We had just had this challenge. He outran a chariot, and then Jezebel threatens him, and he runs. But I want you to go back to that statement where he said, I'm the only one left. Right. See, he'd been living in isolation. And so when we're living in those situations, we are more susceptible to those attacks of the enemy. That's right. Now we're getting to, to the point of what I want to make. We're done with the highlight reel now. Now fear is actually, the, the essence of fear is uncertainty and doubt. It can also manifest as anxiety and worry, worry of impending harm. It includes racing or wavering thoughts. It causes an overall sense of fatigue, strong, strong feelings of being worn out and depression. That's all included in fear. So I don't think that he was just afraid. I think he was worn out. I think he was tired. He was probably hungry again. See, our physical bodies can't live long periods of time in a supernatural realm. You get worn out, go on a mission trip, I'm promising you. By the end of the day, after you've ministered all day, you're like, I'm done, you know? You need, our physical bodies can't maintain that because we're finite, the supernatural is infinite. So he's operated in this, but he's also not had um, connection. He's not had these things. And so he's more susceptible to these threats right now. And he's struggling with his thoughts and his feelings. Because remember, it can feel very real, but not necessarily be true. And I believe this is where Elijah was. So he goes to Beersheba, he leaves his servant, he goes another day's journey into the wilderness. And he sits down under a tree, and he prays to die. He is done, he is done done. And he says, God, I'm done, just take me now. I'm done. 
His situation and his circumstance he couldn't see a way out of at that moment because his feelings and his thoughts were overwhelming him and he was just done. And we can be there too. We like to, okay, I like to sometimes read these stories and judge the person, like how can you do all of that? And then Jezebel threatens you and you run and hide and you're fearful. But you gotta look at the story and then you have to involve the human element in it because I believe this story's in there for a reason and it talks about his thoughts and his feelings for a reason because we're human beings also. Right. That we can have these mountaintop experiences with God but then we can also hit these parts where we're just done. Right. We're done, I cannot do this anymore. But what are we telling ourselves when we're saying that? Right. We're reiterating the thoughts and the feelings. We're not reiterating truth. And we need to get that switched around. So he lays down and he goes to sleep. Because see, sometimes we need that rest. We need the physical rest, but sometimes we, no, not sometimes, we need those places of peace. How does God answer him? He sends an angel to feed him. He doesn't scold him. He doesn't talk about how he could have done it differently. He doesn't preach at him. He sends an angel to feed him. So Elijah eats and then he goes back to sleep. And then an angel comes a second time and he feeds him and he wakes him up. He says, you're in for a long journey. You're gonna need this. So Elijah eats again and then he, uh, he goes, uh, and the angel comes and feeds him again. Okay, now I'm gonna get a little bit of science on you. And um, actually I got this from my daughter, from my grandkids. I have five. Theo's two months, he's still perfect. The others, all girls, Nora's birthday's today, she's three today, she's had her little birthday dress on up here showing me. They are two, three, four, and five. So when they're at my house, sometimes it's a little loud and chaotic. And I did get to watch them all last school year. Um, the two olders are in preschool and kindergarten now. But it's called HALT. They actually teach this in drug rehab programs also because it's to make you stop. And as parents, well, I'll just tag this into Pastor Caleb and Allie's parenting things, it stands for hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Halt. And when you are in any one of those four situations, you are not making wise choices because your brain is no longer functioning. And at my house, I got four kids Ellie, Lucy, Nora, and Emerson. On any given moment, any, I, we can have all four of those going at my house. No one's ever tired, and they're always hungry, though. <laughs> so my job at the house is snack butler, is what, you know, they call me Gam or Grammy, but I think it, they should just call me snack butler, and it would fit better. But I'm telling you, they don't make wise choices. And sometimes we have an inner toddler in us. Amen. Oh, I thought it was just me. Thank you, Allie. <laughs> I can count on Allie to have an inner toddler too. We have that inner toddler where our things aren't going our way. We have that inner toddler that's hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and we're not making good choices, green choices as we tell the girls. We're making red ones. And we all can have that in us, sometimes more than others. My, my, um, I measure my growth on how long my inner toddler is pitching its fit. <laughs> that's, 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 let's be real. The inner toddler did not run my life for very long. That's, that's an improvement. So 
Sometimes we literally just need our physical needs met. We need a nap, we need food, chocolate, caffeine, whatever the case may be. Hand me a chocolate bar, walk away, I'll be fine in a few minutes, you know, kind of thing. But sometimes we need more than that. Because, like I said, we are more susceptible to attacks by the enemy when we're in those states, just like Elijah was. Sometimes sleep and a snack changes our perspective. Pastor Dwight referred to our perspectives in his closing. And we need our perspectives changed because it's in our, it's, it's in our thoughts. Our thoughts are projecting what's going on as bigger than God, bigger than than, than anything else. That's all we can see. So Elijah travels 40 days and 40 nights into the wilderness, and I'm not sure what the Old Testament people's obsession with the wandering around wilderness is, but I'm so glad we don't have one here. But let's speak, you know, for, to Mount Sinai. Now you've heard of Mount Sinai before because this is where Moses met God. Mount Sinai is actually known as the mountain of God. See, Elijah knew he needed something. He didn't know what yet. So what he, did, he went to what he did know. Right. He went to what he did know, which was Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. This is where God met Moses. God's, I can't hear God right now, so maybe, maybe God will meet me there. Maybe something will change when I go there. So he goes to this mountain of God. He comes to a cave. He goes in and spends the night. And you're like, seriously? But he did just travel 40 days. So we're going to go with that. So 1 Kings 19.9 says, he comes to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, philosophically, I don't believe God can ask a question he can't answer. Right. I'm just saying. So I believe God knew the answer to this question. Right. He knew exactly why Elijah was there. But he's not sure that Elijah knows why Elijah's there. But he needed Elijah to speak it out loud, to recognize where he was, what he was missing. Where, Elijah, where are you? Sometimes God's like, Beth, where are you? Where's your mind? Where's your thoughts? Where are things wandering aimlessly around? Where are you? Get some perspective of where you are. So he's like, Elijah, where are you? He wanted to make sure Elijah knew why. So then Elijah answers, 1 Kings 19.10. See, will the whole thing fit up there? Yes. And Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenants with you, torn down your elders, killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Probably something like that. Because, see, he's got this turmoil going on. God's not answering the way I want him to. I'm the only one left. We know that's not true, but he isn't seeing that perspective right now because the thoughts and the distortions are overtaking what the truth is. And it's, it's, this is the chaos going in inside of him. So, and at this point, maybe Elijah's just trying to figure out where God is. It's a version of questioning God. We say, why God? We shorten it. But it's pretty much the same thing. You know, I don't understand. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Now, he also points out that he has zealously served the Lord God Almighty. He's pointing out, he's giving God what he's done. I've served you, God. 
I've done these things you've asked me to. I've risked my life. I've done these things. But you're still not answering the way I want you to. His inner toddler's just having a total temper tantrum. And maybe, dare I say, only because I've been here, done this, is maybe he thinks God owes him something. God, look at the things I've done. And yet, this has happened. Yet, that's happened. Yet, you didn't come through, in my opinion, what I thought the way you should. Maybe. Maybe Elijah was trying to figure out what God was doing. He was looking for an answer, an explanation, wondering if God still cared. I've been the only one that's ever been there. God, do you even still care? Do you even still care? Because I've done these things, and do you even still care? Because I can't see it, feel it right now, because my circumstances are overwhelming and crushing me. Now, a bonus here. I learned this. If God told me why something happened, I would probably come back with, that's not a good enough reason. Let's be real. If, some, if you've gone through something really hard, and God would say, you went through this situation because of this, maybe, depending on the situation that I was talking to God about, I would probably say, but that's not a good enough reason. It wouldn't satisfy my why. And if I could understand God's ways, that would put God on the same human level as me, and I really don't want someone on the same human level as me running the world. Right. Let's be real, I don't want someone that is susceptible to inner toddler meltdowns right. to be running the world right now. Because odds are I wouldn't be standing here alive still. I'd just be like, bing, you off the earth now. You know, let's be real. I don't want someone that has that same human nature and thought, thought process. I want someone bigger than me that sees the big picture. Lots of times I want the big picture too, but I don't always get, my, get that. Because that's not how God works all the time. So, Elijah, so God calls Elijah out and says, come out of the cave. So 1 Kings 19, 11, and 12 says, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain, and it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. Now, if any of this sounds familiar to you, let's look at Exodus 19, 16 to 18 real quick. This is Moses. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. Same mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And, the, and Mount, all of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the, into the sky like smoke from the brick kiln and the whole mountain shook violently. Again, we see the same earthquakes, fires on the same mountain. Because, but the Lord wasn't in those for Elijah. Because see, that's not what Elijah needed. He didn't need the earthquake. And maybe that's what Elijah was looking at, how God would answer him, because that's the pattern he knew from Moses. If I go here, God's going to show up in this way, because that's what he did for Moses. But that's not what Elijah needed. 
And again, so after this, he covers his face with his cloak, which uh, is a symbol that he knew that that was the presence of God. And he goes back to the cave. And I'd like to say that Elijah got it, but let's look back to Maddie, 1 Kings 19, 13 and 14. So this is after this happens, Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, this was the experience he had just had with the presence of God. But see, he didn't recognize it yet. He didn't recognize the still small voice part because it wasn't, I believe, wasn't exactly what he was expecting it to sound like and look like. So then Elijah says, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed every one of your prophets, and I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Same answer. I'd like to say I've never done this. But again, I probably can count on Allie to, you know, you have something, you go to God. But you ha it, it's not fixed yet. And then God's like, what are you doing here? And you give him the same answer. You're repeating yourself. Because again, he didn't experience the still small voice yet. He didn't grasp it the first time. He went back in the second time. See, he needed an experience with God that he had not had before. He'd had the mountaintop experiences, literally on Mount Carmel. He'd had the provisionals, the ravens, the, all of those things where God provided, but he hadn't had the experience with God that he needed to match this experience that he was in. Because we always need continually filled. We always need the experience with God to be what we need in the circumstance we're in. We need to learn a new aspect to God that we didn't know before. We can't keep using the same ones. God is multifaceted. He has what you need for every situation, and it's not going to be the same thing for every situation. And so when something happens and it's overwhelming, we need a new dimension of God. We need to find God in another way. We need God to meet us in a new and a fresh way for the situation and the circumstance that we are currently living in. And that's where Elijah was. He, would, he didn't get it at first. This makes you really thirsty up here. He needed to release it all to God. He needed to get it outside of himself. Because if you keep it in yourself and you keep it in your mind and you keep it in your heart and you keep it in your feelings, that's what's gonna be what rules you. And I have amazing family and friends and I can take these things to them that have gone on or are going on and I do those things. And they listen and they, give, uh, they pray with me sometimes and they, they listen and that helps. But they can't touch that place in my soul that needs God to, God to touch. We need that spot in our souls to be touched with an encounter with God. Ironically, my still small voice was an ocean. Seems a little bit oxymoronish, but if you know me, that's not surprising to anybody. My still small voice was an ocean, and it was 20, January 2018, and I'd had it. It had been eight months since Eddie died, and I, I, I was overwhelmed, I was crushed. I couldn't think straight, couldn't make a decision, couldn't, I, it, it was too much. And I went to Florida. I was like, I just need out of here. I didn't know what I needed. I didn't know where I'd find it. I just went. I believe it was divine now, and I still go. But So I go, and I'm at the ocean, and it was finally there. It was finally there that my perspective changed, 
the unrelenting waves, the crashing, the ocean was finally bigger on the outside than what was going on inside. You have to find that place where, where God is finally bigger than what's going on in the chaos inside of you. And it's with the unrelenting waves and the crashing and all of these things that I could finally feel like finally something's bigger than what's inside of me. And I had to find that place. We all do. We all have been through stuff. We all are going through stuff. And we all need to find that place where God is bigger than what's going on inside you. Amen. Mine happened to be an ocean. But I went out and I was just, I was, I was being Elijah. I've done these things, God. I don't understand what's happening. Why this? Why that? I don't get it. What am I supposed to do? Da, 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 da. You know, all of the things. I have journal pages of all of the things. But it was finally there that I could just breathe again. Right. And the next morning as I got up and I'm walking on the beach again, I noticed I was just kind of strolling. I wasn't driven from the inside anymore. I was just strolling. And then I noticed the seashells. I noticed the sea. I noticed the ripples. I noticed all the things I didn't see before. Right. Because it was now outside me. I could think clear. I could hear God's voice. I could sense God. I could feel God's presence. But I had to get there. So God answers Elijah differently the second time. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint uh, Hazael to be king of Amron. And he goes on. Did I give you all of those, Maddie? Yes, I did. Okay. And anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of uh, Shaphat, in that town to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu. And those who escape from Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet... I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. By the way, there's 7,000 other people. You are not alone. Right. So this, is, this was God's provision that went as, he said, go back to where you, the way you came. When you get there, if someone escapes that's trying to kill you, this king will kill him. If they escape, this king will kill him. If they escape, then, the, then Elisha will kill them. So he's given him the plan to keep him alive. Not only did he keep him alive, we have no record of him dying. He goes back later and uh, gets a threat from Jezebel and he turns the threat around and Jezebel ends up dying exactly as she said Elijah would. And then Elijah went up in a chariot of fire to God and we don't even have a record of him dying, much less dying at Jezebel's hands. So he protected him. But Elijah did not die under that tree the first time because God was not done with him yet. You did not die in your circumstance because God's not done with you yet. See, the second time he answered him, he said, go. The second time he answered him, he reignited life into his destiny. And see, that's where we need to get to. That's where we need God to speak life back into our destiny that I'm not done with you yet. Your circumstances may be real big. They may be out of control. They may be crazy. But yet, you're still here because God has destiny. Right. You're not excused from your destiny because your life's hard. I tried. Doesn't happen. <laughs> I tried to get a letter from whoever I could. Can I just be excused? No. 
You, you're not excused from your destiny because your life's hard. And I don't mean that to sound harsh, but it's the truth. The truth is you need an encounter that changes your perspective that you can hear God's voice that tells you to go. Yeah. And so Elijah went and he did these things and he had many, many, a very fulfilling life after this. He did lots of things. He anointed kings, many, many miracles. He, he uh, trained Elisha. He's referred to um, of having sons of the prophets, which means he ran prophetic schools all over the place. He trained people. This was after this incident. You don't excuse, you know, your, your meltdown, your inner toddler doesn't get you out of your destiny either. Right. As long as you're not staying there. He needed... He needed the destiny. He needed life spoken back into him. We need life spoken back into us when we're in these places. We need to go to God. We need to get it out of ourselves. We need our perspective to be changed. We need to let God do that. See, God is the only one that can do that. My family and my friends could not do that for me. They were great. They were supportive. They listened. They prayed for me. They prayed with me. And all of those things that were vital, but they couldn't touch my soul. And that's where God had to do it. If God didn't do it, I'd trust me. I'm not standing here. We all need an encounter for whatever we're doing, wherever we are, and God is big enough for every one of those things. And that's where we need our perspective. That's where we need that truth spoken to us that said, you have destiny. I'm bigger than this. I have God's, you know, I have the peace and the joy and the healing and the freedom that you need. Doesn't necessarily change the circumstance, but it changes the storm that's in you to have what you need to continue to walk in your destiny in spite of your situation and circumstance. That's good. That's good. Because we all need that storm inside of us calmed at some point in time in our life. That's right. God bless you if that's not been your life so far. <laughs> if you're like four. If you're over that, odds are you, you have. But I'm here and I'm standing here and I'm telling you that God can do this because he has done it for me. He has touched those places. He has led me places that in my wildest dreams would never have ever thought to be. He's taken me to oceans where I hear his voice through the crashing. He has taught me things like the fear. I walk in an ocean, ask my friends much to their distress. I walk out into oceans. I don't know what's out there. I don't care what's out there. I don't know if that next step is going to be rocky that I could cut my foot on or if it's going to be a smooth surface. I don't know. I just love the ocean. I just love to go. I trust enough that there's a bottom. And God said, if you can trust that, you can trust me. Come on, I'm out there in the ocean over my head. It is. The waves are coming in and they're pounding. And you know what? I love it. And I trust that there's a bottom even when the wave has overcome me. I trust scientifically that there's a bottom. And that it somehow, even when it feels like the breath is being squeezed out of me, that I don't have enough to, breath to get to the surface, that there will be a bottom that I hit that I can propel myself back up and get air. Come on. 
And if I can trust that, I can trust God because God created that. And God is bigger than that. And we need to get to that point where we can trust that there is a bottom, that, there, that God is there, no matter where you are in that journey. May hurt. Your journey may hurt. If, you know, hopefully no one's shocked by that. But your journey can be hurtful and your journey can be painful. And the Bible tells us that that's what's going to happen. But it also says Jesus came to overcome the world. And those are the worldly things. And he's bigger than those things. And he can overcome them. And so can you. Because you have destiny. You have things for God that God has for you. That's why you didn't die in your circumstance. That's, right. That's why you're sitting here is because you have destiny. You're sitting here because you still have things to do. God still has a plan and a purpose. And if you've forgotten that, or the enemy has been telling you differently, hear my words today. You have a plan and a purpose. You have a destiny, and the enemy does not want you to have it. The enemy is doing whatever he can in your thoughts and in your feelings to make you believe you don't or feel like you don't. But he's also the father of lies. And the Bible says the truth will set us free, and the truth is you have destiny. The truth is you're sitting here full of destiny, no matter what your situation and circumstance may look like at the moment. So what do we do when we're overwhelmed? Well, let's do what Elijah did. He let it all out to God. He let it all out. God's not, God is not surprised like that. And in nowhere did God say, what are you, what are you thinking, Elijah? You, you can't question me. Don't question me. Don't do this. That's not the God we serve. Nowhere did God um, discipline Elijah for asking questions. Yeah. Nowhere does it say God was angry with Elijah, even when Elijah was having a total fit. Nowhere. He fed him. He provided sleep. He fed him again. He sent angels. He sent ravens. He provided for his physical needs. He didn't get mad at Elijah. We need to let it out. When we let it out, we are finally empty enough and broken enough that we can hear the still small voice. Because once it is out, the rage, the, the, the loneliness, the whatever it is, whatever the fear, whatever it is, once it is out of us, then we can hear what's in us, which is the Holy Spirit, which is God. It's not competing with all of the noise of our own thoughts right. and our own feelings. Because those are now outside of you. And now you can hear the still small whisper inside. Now you can stroll. Now you can see things because God's given you a fresh perspective. We need that. We need to seek his presence. Elijah didn't know that's what he was seeking when he wandered 40 days and 40 nights through the wilderness, but we need to seek his presence. He knew there was something on that mountain. And even though God met him in a different way, God met him. We need to look for how is God going to meet us, not if, not when. Not how. We just need to seek God. God, however, however, I just know I need you. I don't, I don't know any of the details. I just know I need God. Mm-hmm. I need an encounter with God. We all do. 
See, his presence is where the healing, the freedom, the love, the joy, the peace, all the things you know that you need and all the things you don't know you need, that's where you find those is in his presence. Then we need to be obedient. God said, go. He didn't leave him there. He didn't heal him and then leave him. He didn't even, I don't, I don't, I couldn't tell you if he waited for him to feel healed. He sent him because see, sometimes your healing comes in your obedience. Right. That's right. I've gone places and spoken at places where I've been so broken. My 2017 trip to Mexico, I was so broken. But that's where I experienced so much healing. Because I went out of obedience. Right. I was like, God, I got nothing. And he's like, great. You don't need anything. All I can do, I feel like my job is to lead you and give you tools to get to God. To get to what you need through Jesus. Yeah. That's my job. If I can point you to God, that's my job. Right. And if that's to go, then I go. Elijah was sent. God says, all right, great. You've met me. I've emptied you. I've spoken to you. Now go. And he went. He was obedient. It doesn't say he did anything else. It says, and so he went. And then he lived out the second half or however much longer of his life and all of these amazing, fulfilling things because he was obedient even in the midst of his circumstance. Even walking out of the fear because he was so afraid that he had to have been walking out of his fear when he left there because that threat of Jezebel was still out there. So you know he had to experience some kind of healing, but he went even if he was afraid. Doesn't tell us. Either way, he was still obedient. And that's what we need to be. We need to be obedient to what God tells us to do in our destiny, because I promise he has amazing destinies for everybody that's sitting here. And when you're standing up here, you can see it. It's, it's, it's amazing when you're standing up here and you can look out and you can see people and you can see the amazingness of their destinies. Yes, amen. And that's when, we re- that's, that's when we're walking out. And I'm not, not going to stand up here and lie and say your life's never going to be hard again. Right. But what you do have now is the tools. Oh, man, I am becoming overwhelmed. I'm becoming crushed. I need to get to God. Yes. I need to get to God, however that looks. For me, it's oceans. But, you know, we don't have one of those in Ohio. So that can't be my only way of doing things. So you have, you have to figure, you have to find God. So you're living in floor, bathrooms, if you've got little kids, showers, you know. You have to find God, and you have to let God... Because you've got to trust that God knows what you need. And he wants to set you free. He wants to give it to you. That's the thing. We're holding ourselves in bondage by continuing in our own mindsets. He came. He gave his son Jesus to die on a cross. Why would he do that if he didn't want the best for us? He wanted the best for us. He wanted to give us everything that goes with that. So we need to seek him out and say, God. And you know what? He always meets us. Like the, he, you just say, God. And it doesn't matter if you can go somewhere to find him or if you've got to sit in your living room and find him or your car. He will meet you when you call on him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and you seek him and then he comes in and he clears out the junk and our mindsets change from death to life and our mindsets are cleared up and we get new perspective and then he sends us out says great now continue in your destiny because it's a great big world out there that needs this information you have there's a great big world out there that needs to know that they can be free from the mindsets that are holding them in bondage And so that's, that's, what, that's what I do. Sometimes, depending on how long the inner toddler is around, but that's what I do. I have to seek out God. Yeah. I have to get, get whatever's in me. I have, it, has, it needs perspective that God is bigger. His presence comes in, and that's when the healing comes. And then I need to be obedient. Then I need to continue on with what God has called me to do, whatever that may be saying yes to whatever that and I don't regret saying yes by the way so whatever that whatever that next yes is is what you do the next you know is what you do so if you all could stand with me today I just want to pray for a minute I just want you to search inside for a minute you just close your eyes just for a second, for a minute. And just God, ask God to search you. God, is there, is there something going on? Maybe you know. Maybe you're like, yep, I got a circumstance and a situation that is bigger than the perspective of who God is right now. I'm being crushed and overwhelmed right now. And I need an encounter with God. If you just slip up your hand just real quick. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, you see people's hearts. You see their minds, God. God, I am praying for an encounter with you. As people are here today, as they, as they uh, God, as they experience you, that a perspective change would come today, Father God, how big you are and how much you love them. God, that people would experience freedom today. Peace and love and joy today, Father God, for the situation and the circumstance that they find themselves in, Father. God, that you would meet each person. Some need a mountaintop, earthquake experience, and some need a gentle, small voice. And God, you are all those things to everyone. That as we just take a moment here, You would bring peace to the situations, Father God, to minds and to hearts and to feelings, God. That you would change perspectives, Father God. That you would bring life and breathe life into destinies, Father God. That if they are here, Father God, or online or whatever, if they're alive today, God, they have destiny. That you would bring life, especially in this season, Father God, that you would just breathe life on destiny today, Father. Life, God, in those areas that feel dead, that seem dead, that don't make sense, God, that you would bring your life, Father God, today. That your spirit and that wind would come and blow away the clutter 
the clutter of minds today, Father God, that would blow in a fresh wind, Father. That especially in this season, Father God, there would be a renewing and a refreshing, Father God, for the plan, call, purpose, and destiny that you have for each person's life that's here, God. That there would be a newness and a freshness in people's steps. Father God, that as they, as they go today and even tomorrow, God, people would just realize they're walking different. Right. Thank you. That they feel lighter. That they don't know why they're singing this song instead of being down in the dumps. But God, that, that, but they would just, that their feelings would line up with you, God, with the truth. God, I just speak release to those who are in places, Father God, that just need release, Father God, not just temporary relief, but need release, Father, from the mindsets that have plagued them for years, possibly. I pray over a spirit of worthlessness right now in Jesus' name that is just telling people that it's for somebody else, it's not for them. That that's great for somebody else, but that God didn't do it for them. And I break that lie in Jesus' name and speak freedom. And those that are still swimming in the, but my life is, but this happened, but that happened, and this is going on. God, that they would be able to find that time to spend with you to have their perspectives changed and have the truth brought in. That you would surround them with people that would encourage them. That you would, uh, God, your word says there's nowhere we can go that you are not and that your love will not surround them. And you would draw them, Father God, when those mindsets begin, Father God, that some have been there since they were kids, that is, your, your spirit would draw them in, Father God. And when those thoughts begin, they would begin to see it differently. They would begin to see the choice to not go down that road. And they would begin to choose, God, I choose you. I choose life. I choose my destiny. God, for all of the amazing things you have for the people that are here today, that the enemy wants to steal it, God. That the mindsets wouldn't enable him to do that. I just speak life to destiny today. Life to destinies today. And God, I thank you that you are trustworthy, that you will show people in their lives, how they can trust you. You will speak to them on how, uh, in a way that's meaningful to them, Father, because we're individuals, we're individually made, and you know each one of us individually, and that you will meet each person on an individual level, on an individual basis, based on what they need, Father. That our perspectives, perspectives would change today, God, how big you are and how much you love us. Just because 
you want to. I thank you, Jesus, for the truth. I thank you for your truth that sets us free, and I just pray for freedoms today. That you would continue this, that you would remind people when they need to be reminded, Father, of some steps to encounter you. And we would have fresh encounters with you. In your precious son's name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.